there, podcast listeners. Uh, this is Anwar Osborne. I'm here with uh, my colleague Matt Wheatley, and uh, we are uh, doing another exciting popscast here for you today. We are going to cover a couple of co- couple of topics here. Uh, you know, it's been a few months since we uh, had a podcast. We're going to try to get a little bit more regular. The uh, big thing that happened is uh, September uh, in Nashville. I've never been to Nashville before. Did you like it? Yeah, Nashville was all right. Not, all right. not too bad. A lot of country music, but uh, the uh, MSEP Observation uh, Science and Solutions Conference was there. It was uh, the third annual, right? First time in Nashville, so it was good. It was good. Uh, it was uh, very well attended, and uh, as you probably know, the uh, conference is a little different than a lot of the private conferences. We have the, the as many of the heavy hitters there as possible, the people who are doing the research. So it was a very academic uh, environment, lots of uh, clinicians uh, and a few administrators. There was a lot of physicians there. Did you notice that? Yeah, it seemed like uh, it was a good mix, actually, of physicians and a couple mid-level providers and then some nurses and stuff like that. So definitely good to see the docs represented. So myself and uh, Dr. Wheatley, uh, Dr. Carol Clark from uh, Beaumont and... uh, uh, Dr. Margarita Pena, she's up on that too, right? She's at St. Joe, uh, St. John's. She's at St. John's. Sorry, uh, we were the uh, co-chairs of the uh, conference, and we we spoke. And I, you know, from my standpoint, uh, the questions that were getting asked were pretty tough. Right, definitely a well-informed crowd. A lot of folks had some obscene experience, and I think we're really looking for that second level. Uh, information, not so much how to set it up, but how to take it to the next level. So, um, definitely kept kept me on my toes. But right, we, you can just uh, just talk about chest pain. You talk about the nuts and bolts and what it meant and everything. And uh, I think that made for a good conference. Did, I mean, did you notice any uh, particular themes of things that kept coming up during conference? We definitely had some good stuff on coding and billing, um, both from a facility and a professional side. And I think that's always that's always a question that comes up and it looks different if you're in an academic institution versus a private institution. So I know that, um, you know, different payment models and stuff like that are, are big topics. So that, that came up. Um, I know we, you had a good discussion on stress testing. I know that was kind of a big, a big thing too. So, um, I don't know what else you've. Seen. I mean, I thought I thought we talked uh, a lot about stress testing that came up. You know, like people are starting to ask like hard questions about stress testing these days. I, I think another issue that came up a lot was um, the uh, two provider or uh, two Medicare type provider observation unit. Uh, a lot of places who are, are have a unit in their infancy or thinking about starting a unit or, or wondering what it's like to have, you know, one, one provider like the ER admit to another provider, which, you know, sometimes is also the ER, uh, and then uh, how to bill provider charges for that. So that came up a lot uh, during the meeting. And, um, but I think, you know, we had a, a enough of the experts there to, to answer, the, answer the questions. Uh, so yeah, again, it was a huge turnout. Uh, can't wait to do it again. We're going to uh, I think we're supposed to meet again at, at the ASEP uh, OB section meeting uh, to uh, maybe kind of knock around some ideas about how to freshen it up for next year. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, if anybody listening to this has any thoughts, you know, we're definitely planning on having the conference again next year. Um, we're, we're, I guess, deciding on a venue if we're going to keep it in Nashville or, or try to go somewhere else. 
Um, I think we're probably going to look to have it around the same time of year, mid-September. Um, but if there are any comments uh, as to where you would want to have it or, or discussion items, things you would want to hear about, uh, I would say get them to us. Well, you can email, email from the podcast link and uh, we'll get it. We'll take a look. Also, uh, what you could do is you could come out to Boston uh, with us. Uh, myself and Matt are going to be there. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in observation medicine and uh, you haven't been able to make it out yet, we have an observation medicine uh, section meeting. It runs from uh, 9 to 11 on Tuesday, the uh, let me see. 27th. The 27th. That's right. So Tuesday, the 27th in Boston, uh, we'll be talking about some uh, important topics uh, just to give you a, a preview of the agenda, so here are the, the section is uh, Chris Baugh, uh, as, as you probably know. Uh, we'll have a report uh, from the counselor. We'll have uh, some CMS policy updates, which I think is going to be pretty, uh, pretty important. Uh, then we're going to have uh, a year in review of the, the literature uh, by uh, Dr. Caspers. We'll talk quickly about the business, and um, We'll uh, probably elect a, a chair for the year after next, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll have time to discuss uh, new business. And, you know, one of the best things about uh, having this section meeting is that we kind of do a lot of networking. Some of the best ideas that I know I have ever had for our unit came from uh, just powwowing with uh, a lot of the other national ops experts at uh this sort of small group kind of meeting. So look forward to seeing you there. Uh, if you can make it out, I've never been to Boston either. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, should, should be good. It's always good for networking and uh, it's always a good turnout at the meeting. So let's move on. Uh, we got uh, a couple of things we can talk about or we'd like to talk about uh, today. And um, yeah, there, there's been a, a lot of studies that came out uh, over the past uh several months between uh, the last podcast and now, but uh, one of the ones that came out uh, that was uh, a little bit more uh, uh, controversial, perhaps. That's a good, good word for it. Uh, was this uh, study in uh, academic emergency medicine. It came out, let me see. I think it's in it the August issue. August issue of uh, this year, and uh, it was uh, about the uh, efficacy and safety of the short-stay unit that uh, we a lot of times call an observation unit or a clinical decision unit. So yeah, the lead author on this was uh, James Gallipo, and I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, this was a Canadian study, and what they did was uh, did a Medline search, uh, Cochrane search, uh, and looked at a couple other databases for instances of randomized trials involving short-stay units as compared with uh, usual care, i.e., you know, not provided in a short-stay unit, uh, and did a systematic review of this. Um, and it, as Amor mentioned, it's it was kind of a, a negative study from the standpoint of of observation medicine, uh, in that their their final conclusion was that they found insufficient ev evidence exists to make conclusions regarding the effectiveness and safety of short-stay units compared with inpatient care. Um, so it really sounds like kind of a damning uh, conclusion uh, in terms of the stuff we like to do, and, and you know, we, we tend to believe that what we're doing is evidence-based. Um, so we'll dig into the study a little more and see what kind of, see what kind of conclusions they can pull out of it. Um, so as I mentioned, they did this uh, literature search 
uh, for these studies and then uh, looked at them for a couple different ways. They looked at them to assess uh, kind of risks of bias in the study. Um, then they were looking at the quality of the evidence in each of the studies. Uh, and then I think we're looking at also their outcomes, yeah, how measurable and quantifiable the outcomes were. So the interesting thing when you get to the results of the studies is, you know, in their initial search, they found 1,432 records of which they screened 1,425. So they excluded seven of them. Um, but then they excluded almost all of those records. They only, on their second screening, only found about 300 of them eligible uh, to kind of look through in full text. So the original 1,432 studies, only 300 were eligible to be screened through. And then of the 300 that they screened through, they actually only did the analysis on five articles. So of the original 1,432 articles, they only analyzed five of the articles. Um, reasons for excluding the 290 articles that they looked at in, in full text were uh, 13 of them were foreign language. They were really only looking at uh, French or English articles. Nine of them were not in the country of interest, so they limited it to North American and European sites. Uh, the largest thing, 227, uh, said they were not included in study design. So something about the study design excluded them. Um, they also excluded pediatric articles, so that excluded one site. Um, Nine of them were excluded because the control was not usual care. So the, the point of this is, you know, they really, they're making these conclusions based on a very limited number of articles. You know, what, one of the things that I think uh, we can come away with, even with just reading like the, uh, some of the methodology, is uh, maybe like the title is somewhat of a misnomer in that you know, saying that the evidence is inadequate uh, to make conclusions, but maybe maybe they you can also state that there's probably not enough studies done to uh, that, that where in which you can compare the results to make these kinds of conclusions. Uh, I mean, there there's evidence there, except there's a, a mix in methodology, which is which we're kind of what they're kind of getting at. Uh, but the uh, what what they have listed as a conclusion kind of sounds, uh, I think, more negative than what it actually is. Right. Well, I know that there's articles that we tend to use to kind of undergird our decision to use things like TIA. Mike Ross has had two seminal TIA publications, which were randomized controlled trials. Ben Sun uh, in 2014 had an article on syncope evaluation in the OBS unit, which was also control, randomized controlled, uh, and but did not meet the rigors of this systematic review. Um, you know, so one thing I took away from this is it's, it's you know, the kind of glass of half full view of this is it's a challenge to all of us to go out there and do more research um, and, and do more uh, randomized controlled trials, you know, which which are difficult. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the issues with that. But, um, you know, rather than either take issue with the article or take issue with the authors of the article, it, it, you know, it, it seems to be more of a, a call to go out there and and do research because I feel like we have a decent body of evidence to support what we do in terms of uh, in terms of OBS units making sense from a cost containment uh, right. 
point of view and also from a patient care point of view, but uh, we need to go out there and, and, and uh, continue to do more research. The second thing is a lot of these studies aren't really powered to see differences in patient outcomes. Right. They're, they're powered for, for quality and mm -hmm. uh, cost outcomes, but not necessarily patient-centered outcomes. But. Right. I mean, you know, pretty much for all of these uh, conditions that we put in the observation unit, they're all pretty low-risk patients. So even in this group that uh, we uh, filter out in the observation unit, like the, the risk of them having a bad outcome is already pretty low. And to have a trial that uh, finds these people that has bad outcomes, it's going to be very hard to do. So, I mean, if you have a low-risk chest pain unit, uh, it's going to take a lot, a lot of patients before you have an outcome uh, that's going to show that uh, an observation unit is not adequate. So, you know, I, I think there's inherent challenges with trying to capture a low-risk population uh, that they kind of mentioned. I think also that uh, they mentioned, you know, cost containment. You know, and, and you know, actually, if you look in the discussion and and the results when they break down each of these aspects of uh, observation units, they, they're not necessarily unflattering per se. A lot of the savings isn't necessarily something that comes out on a balance sheet, right? So, uh, being able to put a, a patient in a more efficient bed uh, not only uh, can save some money uh, on a on a one to one comparison with an inpatient bed, but having the patient there uh, frees an inpatient bed and you get the revenue enhancements, which is notoriously hard to capture in any sort of uh, cost-effectiveness study. And the other point, too, is that, you know, especially some of the older studies, um, we're not sure how many of them were in type 1 units. So this is a concept that has been recently defined by Mike Ross in Health Affairs, uh, December 2013, uh, talking about the setting in which observation can be delivered. So a type 1 unit is a dedicated unit where the care is protocol driven. The opposite of that would be what's called a type 4 unit where it's uh, basically discretionary care anywhere throughout the hospital. Uh, and there's the most evidence uh, for type 1 units. Um, so, you know, obviously kind of moving forward, uh, have, having that as a kind of undergirding any future studies that we do. Also, also in that uh, very same uh, uh, issue of academic uh, emergency medicine, there was a Chris Baugh paper. Yeah, and that one was titled National Cost Savings from Observation Unit Management of Syncope. Um, and so in this one, uh, they did what was called a Monte Carlo simulation, and I'm not going to try to stumble through what that is. You can, mm -hmm. you can Google that and see uh, exactly what that is. But basically, they created a model of usual care of patients moving through the emergency department where they used uh, inputs from literature or national survey data in terms of numbers and percentages of patients presenting to an ED who then go to our discharged home, go to an observation unit or get admitted, uh, and then uh, also numbers of patients that get admitted through an observation unit or patients that go home from an observation unit. And basically they ran that model uh, a number of times, uh, a number of iterations to get kind of a normal distribution in terms of cost savings and uh, bed days and avoided admissions. And so what they concluded was that they were able to save, if you took nationally 
uh, patients with syncope and put them all in a uh, type one setting, you could save uh, around $108 million. Uh, you could avoid 235,000 admissions and save uh, around 2.9 million bed days. Uh, I'm sorry, bed hours. Um, so that the, the model of type one units uh, is beneficial in terms of, uh, you know, both locally within your hospital, but also nationally in terms of cost savings and, and resource utilization. Let me ask you this. So you review a lot of cases at, uh, at Grady here. Where, where do you think the pendulum is on admitting syncope patients at all to the hospital? Uh, it's pretty much a non-starter unless there's some other kind of comorbidity or some other general unit exclusion criteria. I know the other day I admitted a gentleman with dementia, you know, who had had possibly a syncopal episode in the nursing home, but that was less of a syncope issue and more of a nursing issue. I know some of the complex OBS units are able to take those patients. So I know like right. uh, Jason Ham's shop up in uh, Michigan, you know, that would be that would be a patient that would still go to his OBS unit. Uh, he's got the staff and the resources to manage it. So yeah, I think I think you're fighting an uphill battle to try try to admit somebody with syncope. Is that is that your impression? That's as well? my impression. And I, you know, in the trenches in the ER, uh, you know, not as many clinicians would use. Uh, you know, what I trained with with was the uh, San Francisco syncope rules. So, right. So not as many people use that uh, to make that sort of conclusion. Really, it's uh, you know, what are you going to do for this patient? Uh, are they uh, entirely too high risk or an inappropriate patient? And short of that, a lot of times they end up in uh, one of our type one observation units. So, uh, and, you know, and, it, and as you can see, for the most part, we do equivalent types of testing uh, and we get uh, pretty good outcomes and then we keep the patients out of those inpatient beds. So I mean, in, uh, in my clinical experience, you know, I think the pendulum is much, much closer to the admit or, or place the patient in observation status and admit to the hospital. So. Yeah, I would agree. Well, that's good. I mean, so there's so there's definitely still stuff uh, coming out in the literature. So that was just a couple things from recent publications, and and definitely if there's uh, articles uh, that you guys want us to review on the on the podcast, uh, just let us know in the comments on the uh, on the podcast website. All right. Well, uh, so this one, uh, I think we're going to wrap up and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing everybody in Boston later on this month. Uh, hopefully the weather be nice and uh, we will uh, touch bases in Boston about uh, what the next conference is going to look like. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for the literature. Hope to hear from uh, some of the uh, listeners out there. And uh, again, uh, as we say every time, if uh, you don't have an OBS unit, you have a problem. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you.